Are you expectant? Yes. All right. If you weren't here last Sunday, I'm going to encourage you to please go to our website. Be a self-learner and go through the material via the website. We've got prayer strategy that's developed stemming from what we preach on Sundays. And we pray through those prayers in our small groups during the week. Okay, But as an individual, you can actually access that information from the website and you can use it as a prayer guideline throughout the week. So I encourage you to do that. And um, I shared with you last week that this was not my own idea, doing this freedom series. It came to me by way of a dream at the start of the year where the Lord spoke to me and was saying, do a series, Steps to Freedom, giving people steps to coming to a place of breaking bondages and coming to a place of fullness in Christ. And in the dream, I was sharing this with my next door neighbor and he came and was encouraging me. You know, saying, Paul, you need to do this. Paul, you need to do this. And that's why we are doing this particular thing. I really felt in this season, we need to get free. Amen? Amen. We need to get free. And last week, I started off explaining to you why we need to minister personal freedom. And my first point was basically to do with the fact that you can be a Christian but still in bondage. If you don't know that Jesus has made you free, you can be a Christian but still in bondage. And then I listed, remember that list, right? It's got about 20 items. I think I counted them. 20 items, right? Which show you different areas that Christians can be bound in. And I gave you some homework. I don't know how many of you did the homework. I said, go home and have a look through that particular list. Did anyone do the homework? Only the Andersons. I'm going to give you guys a prize. You get a free book. Sipo, you get a free book. The three of you. Okay, now our hands are going up. <laughs> I should have mentioned that one of those particular things that Christians are bound in are the lying spirits. <laughs> All right. So we spoke about various areas. We spoke about father and mother wounds, the religious spirit. Um, we spoke about spiritual abuse and its impact, anxiety disorders, and we didn't go into a lot of detail, but I was highlighting them in that particular list. But as we go through this particular series, we will be going into detail. One of the talks I will give you is on bitter root judgments and how to deal with those, right? So we're going to unpack this. Please invite your friends, invite your families, um, family, family members, invite your enemies, because once they come through this process of deliverance, this process of breakthrough, they won't be your enemies anymore. Amen? Amen. All right. So the second point is that ministering personal freedom is God's heart for you and it's central to the ministry of Jesus. Why do we minister personal freedom? It's God's heart for you and me. And it's central to the ministry of Jesus. So if you're here and you're addicted to something, don't sit back and say, oh, you know what? Jesus has got more important things to take care of. He can't deal with my addiction. No, your freedom is central to the ministry of Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? Your freedom is central to the ministry of Jesus. It's one of the main things that Jesus does. Now, watch this. It's his priority. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 21. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Verse 18. 
the spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? Because he has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to do what? To proclaim release to the captives. How many of you feel like you're in captivity right now? How many feel like you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but your mind has been besieged by the enemy in certain areas? Well, Jesus came to proclaim release to you. Isn't that wonderful? That's what he came for. Don't say it's for someone else. Now watch this. And recovery of sight to the blind. How many of you know that we can be spiritually blind? If you look in scripture, it says, Cursed is he who leans on the arm of flesh. He will not see prosperity when it comes. How many of you know that God wants to prosper you, but maybe because of spiritual blindness, you're not seeing the breakthrough? You see, when we talk about sight to those who are blind, they're different dimensions of being blind. It's not just talking about physical blindness. A lot of the bondage we're in is because of how we see or don't see. Amen? I'm going to say that again. A lot of the bondage that we are in is because of how we see or don't see. And Jesus came to give sight to the blind. How many of you have been in situations where you find yourself having a breakthrough business-wise? And then you say, but why didn't I see this three years ago? Why didn't I see it four years ago? Because the environment is the same. Those individuals you're doing business with were there three years ago or four years ago. So why didn't you do it then? You were blind. You were blind. How many of you have had situations where life just changes? And what do you say? You say, I now see. I was coaching someone at one of the organizations I do some work for, and they said, Paul, I just wanted to let you know all the things you guys have been teaching me, all the things I've been seeing in courses all these years, I now get it. I get it. I get it. And she kept saying that. I now get it. What had happened before? She was blind. She was blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. How many of you know that you can be a Christian but still oppressed? You can be a Christian but still oppressed. I didn't say you can be a Christian but have a demon living in the inside of your spirit man. Okay, that doesn't happen. But you can be a Christian and you can be oppressed by demonic spirits that you give access to. Remember last week we spoke about don't give the enemy a foothold. And we're going to unpack that a bit later on. We'll talk about what a foothold is. It actually comes, here's me running away with it again. It comes from an interesting word, topos. Topos. Topos in the Greek. Those of you who are land surveyors will know what that is. Topology. Those of, who's a land surveyor here? I just wanted Mr. Manumwa to raise his hand. You know, I just like him so much. And I just wanted him to know. Right? Topology. Topos is it's a geographical term. It's actually to do with territory. So the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil your topos. Do not give the devil your territory. How many of you know that in life, we've got territory? We've got territory. And I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I need to take back the territory in my life that the enemy has stolen. Because he does it by stealing. It's not rightfully his. It's not his. Jesus redeemed us. We all, you, you understand the difference between justification and sanctification. I'm going to explain it just now. But Jesus bought us back. That's the word redeemed. He bought us back. 
but many of us are still living in bondage. And we have to take back that territory. So Jesus says, you know what? In order for you to do this, please understand that I'm anointed to free you. That's what my anointing is there for, right? And he says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Favor. That's what we were singing, that song by Sinek. That Sinek song we were singing, the first song. Those of you, for the few of you who were here for the first song, right? That song by Sinek, right? I am I'm favored. That's unmerited favor. Isn't that powerful? And here it says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus came for that. You know what favor is? It's where you get something, but you don't deserve it. It's where you say, oh, I got the job, but I'm the least qualified. Oh, I got the job, but it was out of 5,000 other people. I got my dream job, Pastor Paul. But you know what? They actually said they were looking for engineers. But you know, my background is actually legal, but they gave me the job. Okay? I only feel a miracle is something that you can't explain. And we need more miracles in our lives. It's something you can't explain, but you can't deny. You can't explain it logically. The things that happen in our lives, we cannot explain them logically, but we can't deny them. Amen? Amen. This is the year of favor. Verse 20. And he closed the book. I just, I love how Jesus does his thing. Hey? It's like he reads it. I mean, he's in their face because you don't just do this. Right? He just pitches up. He reads. Not just anyone could go and just read in a synagogue. Hey? It was the who's who who could do it. And he pitches up and reads it. Then he closes it. And remember, everyone is wondering, who's the Messiah? Who's the Messiah? And this is Luke 4. Hey? So people are still trying to figure out. Jesus hasn't even done all his miracles yet. Right? He closes the book. He gave it back to the attend- attendant. I don't know how Jesus used to walk. You know, I don't know if you had a bounce. I'd like to think of that. Because some of us have bounces when we walk, right? We want to be Christ-like. Right? So I'm sure he was like, you know. Gives it to the attendant there. Gives it to the attendant. Says he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Some of you don't like that, eh? When you're the center of attention, right? And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you know what? His anointing hasn't stopped. His anointing remains, the Bible says. His anointing is in you, the Bible says. What's the anointing? It's the power of the Holy Spirit to do certain things in your life, to accomplish God's purpose in your life. So here's the thing about God's heart. God wants to exchange your ashes for beauty. Remember we read that last week? Isaiah 61 verse 3. How many of you are feeling like your life is in ashes? It's an ash heap. God's heart for you is to change those ashes into beauty. That's his heart. You don't have to twist his arm to do it. It's already his heart. Life is not fixed. I feel like I need to say that to someone today. Life is not what? It's not fixed. Some people have got this thing of, if I'm poor today, it means I am a poor person. Right? And they label themselves as that. And they stay in that environment. Ah, no, Paul. Uh, no, there's this opportunity for, hey, it's not for people like me, Paul. It's for those people who went to those schools. Us. No, we were born on the wrong side of the railway track. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. Amen? They say that life is not fixed. 
Those of us who teach on success, we talk about how it's important to have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Successful people, in other words, people who accomplish their goals in life, have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. A fixed mindset is you try and learn a musical instrument, learn how to play a musical instrument, and then you start struggling, and then you're like, ah, I'm not cut out for this, it's for other people. It's for those musical people. No, says who? You try to start exercising. Ah, no, I'm not that type of person. I'm me, ah, I'm not those fitness freaks. A lot of the people I know today who are doing these triathlons and these Iron Man, Iron Woman things and so on, they didn't start out there. When you start hearing their story and then they tell you, oh, this is the space I was in. Oh, I was X number of kgs overweight. Oh, I was this, oh, I was that. Say to the person next to you, life is not fixed. You hear people who are addicted to things. Ah, no, I can't do with my bottle of scotch. I, I can't do with it, without it. Says who? Says who? Ah, no, Paul, you know me, I've got anger issues. And I'm that type of person, I've got anger issues. Life is not fixed. Things can change. So that was the second dimension that we're looking at. Ministering personal freedom is God's heart for you and it's central to the ministry of Jesus. Number three, Jesus has already paid for your freedom. Why do we minister freedom to people? Jesus has already paid for it. He's already paid for your release. He's already paid. He's, you've been granted bail. You know when someone is in prison and they need bail? It's already been done. You've been redeemed. That's good news. Some of you look, don't look that excited about it. <laughs> How many of you have been in a situation in your life where you pay for something but you don't experience the benefit of it? <laughs> okay, now you're enthusiastic because you remember. And it was painful, wasn't it? I remember a couple of years ago and um, my wife, one of her instruments is the cello. Some of you remember, I think she, she played a couple of times in church, right? And I remember wanting to bless her. And I thought to myself, cool, I discovered that there was this guy coming out from Germany, one of the top cellists around, and so he was coming with his team, and I went and I got a ticket, you know, those compute ticket tickets, right? And it uh, cost a fair amount, and I thought, cool, she'll be so blessed, right? And I left it at that, and you know, I thought, eh, Paul, you're organized, you know, because it was in a couple of months' time, well prepared, I showed her, and I don't remember exactly what she said, but she's a very appreciative wife, so she was like, you know, oh, thanks, my love, oh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay? But then life happened. <laughs> then one week, I was like, ah, what is the date for for that orchestra coming out and so on. And I realized it had happened a few days before. <laughs> because my mindset had been, I know she likes this kind of stuff, so she will put it in the, on a calendar. Her mindset was like, well, Paul is taking me out, so he's got it waxed, so he'll tell me when it's all happening. <laughs> you can imagine how I felt, eh? 
Have you ever been in a situation like that where you pay for something? Maybe it's an air ticket, an expensive one, right? And then something happens, life happens. How many of you know life happens? Then you, yeah, and then you arrive and you are, it happened to me, in fact, some time back, but I think I might have received a bit of a refund, maybe not. The time when I was going to the DR Congo. And I remember I had to go via Burundi and, you know, there were multiple countries. I had to go Rwanda, Burundi, then the eastern part of the Congo. And I remember that I had been told, now it is when you travel to some of these countries where you're told like, no, for this one you won't need a visa, or this one you only get the visa when you're at the airport and you're told two different stories. Then I get to the airport there, my tickets and so on, and the guys are like, uh, you, can't, you can't fly. So I had to delay the flight because I had to get my visa here, right? Have you ever been in that situation? Okay. I remember being in a situation where I went and I was supposed to, you might think, oh, Paul, come on, you need to be smarter than this. But I was traveling to Swaziland, okay? And I remember catching a flight. The plan was to go to, um, what's the name of the airport in Swaziland? King someone. King Swati, right? Yeah. So the travel agent then booked me to go to Lesotho because it was also the other king. You get what I'm saying? So there was a bit of confusion, and I didn't check. And for a long time, I was trying to get my refund for that particular one. I didn't end up going to Lesotho, by the way, okay? Afterwards, I discovered that, oh, okay. And then we, I had to buy a new ticket. And then I tried to claim my refund and so on. In the end, months later, I only got 50% back, right? But it's a terrible situation to find yourself in where you pay for something, but you don't experience the full benefits. And I felt the emotion when I shared with you this morning that I missed that particular orchestra. My wife and I missed it. And you guys were like, ooh, so empathetic. But how many of you know that many of us as Christians today are missing out on the full blessing of our salvation? Sure. Jesus yeah. has paid for it. It's been done, paid in full. But we're missing out on the full benefit. I don't know about you, but I want to maximize on the blessing of God in my life. There are times when my wife will give me a scripture and say, you know, Psalm 37, I'm sure when she's prayed for some of you, she's also done, hey, this particular psalm, I believe it's for you and you can get as much as you want out of it. Some people will skim read the psalm and only get one verse out of it. Other people will read it, will munch on it, will meditate on it, will pray through it, will prophesy, will declare it over their lives and they get the full blessing of their salvation by reading that particular passage of scripture multiple times over. Are you hearing me this morning? Amen. Are you walking in the fullness of your salvation? You see, Jesus has paid for your sanctification and also for your freedom from bondage. Jesus didn't just pay for your justification. Justification is where we become right with God. Justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Justification is when the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us and when God looks at us he doesn't look at you and your sin and all your stuff he looks at his son that's justification Jesus paid for your justification but he also paid for your sanctification what is sanctification the process of becoming holy so when Jesus died for me it was so that I walk in holiness a lot of the songs we were singing did you see the pattern this morning were to do with purity were to do with the holiness of God he died for that also. Now you can choose. Are you going to remain where you are? 
or are you going to embrace the fullness of his salvation? Now, what's the scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Not by your own doing. We don't get into Christ Jesus. By his doing, he places us into Christ Jesus. Right? And he says, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. One of the best places to be. Who became to us wisdom. Oh, that is so powerful. Christ is my wisdom. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. And what does it say? And sanctification. Not just my justification. Jesus is my sanctification. I'm, I'm speaking to you foundational theology, Christian theology. Being a Christian is not just about coming to church and trying to do good deeds. Being a Christian is about having a revelation of what happened at Calvary and living that out in your life. And it says here, he, he who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, the process of being holy. That word in the Greek is hagiazo. Literally, it's holifying. Holifying. Okay, same root word as holy. And redemption. Isn't that powerful? Titus 2 verse 14. Titus 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us Remember I said to redeem us to what? To buy back. To redeem us from what? From going to hell? Way more than that. To redeem us from every lawless deed. So he looked at our lives and he saw a pattern. He saw that there was lawlessness. There was wickedness functioning within us. And his goal was to buy us back, to redeem us from every lawless deed. What are, what are examples of lawless deeds? You know the lawless deeds in your life. I don't have to tell you. When you're a Christian, one of the things that happens when you, your spirit man is regenerated, as you renew your mind, your conscience is sharpened. And so there are things you feel convicted about, right? The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us. And it's interesting here because it says to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So when God restores you and me, it's not just that we have fire insurance. You know what I mean by fire insurance? Insurance in terms of, okay, I'm not going to hell anymore. Okay. It's way beyond fire insurance. He basically wants a people who become his chosen treasure, a people who become his chosen possession, his own possession, and are zealous for good deeds. If you're not zealous for good deeds, if there's no zeal in your life, you haven't yet experienced the fullness of the deliverance God has called you to. You see, God is not just interested in what you've stopped doing. Oh, I'm not getting drunk anymore. Oh, I'm not addicted to this or that anymore. You know, you hear people saying that, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. I'm not fornicating, I'm not doing this. I know Christians like me mentioning different types of sins. There's something about our flesh, eh? It's like, oh, what's the other sin, right? No, but what are you doing? Zealous for good deeds. Can you see that? God's goal for your redemption is not just to come to church 
and be in a space of, I'm no longer doing those lawless acts. God's goal for your life is that you become zealous for good deeds. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. We're talking about what Jesus has already paid for. For you have been bought with a price. I don't know about you, but if I buy something, and if that thing costs me, who does it belong to? Right? When you go to a shop, you know that each time you exchange money for the goods, that's a contract, isn't it? It's a contract of sale. You might not be signing a document, but the fact that you've exchanged money for the particular goods, it's a contract. And now what's happening is the thing belongs to you. Now, if someone cons you, if one of the shopkeepers or one of the salesmen who sold it to you, for example, if they come and they try and claim it like their own, there's a problem there, isn't there? Because it's already been paid for. How do you think Jesus feels? Because he paid for your salvation. For the fullness of salvation, not just half salvation. So how do you think Jesus feels knowing that his precious blood was shed so that you are doing good deeds? His precious blood was shed so that you are experiencing fullness in Christ. How do you think he feels when the thing that he paid for, redemption, buying back, is in someone else's hands? Just think about it. It's in someone else's hands. How would you feel if you pay for your children? How many of you have got children in expensive schools? And expensive is relative, okay? So just raise your hand, no one will judge you. They won't look and will say, ah, dad, you call that expensive. I'll tell you what expensive is. It's relative, right? You heard the, the widow who didn't have much cash, it's relative. How many of you have got kids in expensive schools? Raise your hand, please. <laughs> I've seen some of the children raising their hands. <laughs> Let's take Jordan for example, right? So his parents have to pay lots of money for him to go to school, I'm assuming, right? Now what would happen if Jordan decides, I, I'm not going to that school. I know the name of the school, but I won't mention it because you might judge them and say, ah, that's not really that expensive, but anyway, right? What would happen if Jordan decides to just go to another school? And he comes back and he says to his parents, hey, for the last few weeks I've actually been going to, you know, somewhere else, ASAC. I've been going to ASAC, I haven't been going to my actual school. How will his parents feel? But that's how many Christians are living in bondage. Jesus has paid to redeem us. But the way we live in, it's like we're in someone else's hands. Amen? Amen. That's redemption. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Sometimes when we think of glorifying God... We think in terms of, oh, you know, the angels singing there. Oh, it's just in praise and worship. And because I was worshiping so strongly today, so God is glorified. The Bible here says, for you've been bought with a price, meaning I don't belong to myself. Therefore, glorify God in your body. There are things I do with my body that glorify God. There are things I do with my body that glorify the enemy. Question, how is God being glorified in your body? The church has gone very quiet. I'm obviously scratching where it's itching. Okay. You see, the nature of demonic bondage and mental strongholds is that they hinder the process of glorifying God in your body. 
So fornication, not glorifying God in your body. Eating disorders, addictions, substance abuse, you're not glorifying God in your body. Being outside of the will of God on your own mission, your feet taking you somewhere that is contrary to where God wants you to be, you're not, you're not glorifying God in your body. Part of your body is your tongue. Harsh words, coarse words, rudeness, coarse jesting. You're not glorifying God in your body. The Bible here says, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I believe that at the end of today, end of this message, we'll have an opportunity to surrender our physical bodies to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm giving you my hands. I'm giving you my eyes. I'm giving you my tongue with which I speak. I'm giving you my ears. Whatever I hear, consecrate it to the Lord. Remember that song? Take my life and let it be always only unto thee. Remember the song, guys? Come on, who's old school here? I think it's old school. Who's old school? You know that song? Right? Yes, thank you, Vim. You can always count on Vim. Thank you, Catherine. Old school. Take my life and let it be. All right, all right, all right. Come on, where's the face? Where's the face? Poor. You know those guys in churches, those pianists who think their pastor can do anything, so they'll be running up already. Oh, do you want me to sing it? I'm not anointed for that. All right. Number four. The only darkness that has power over us is the darkness we allow in. The only darkness that has power over us is the darkness that we allow in. That's why we minister freedom to people. Why? Because whatever bondage you find yourself in, you can get out. You've got the power to get out of it. All right? You see, very often we let the darkness enter, often through lies and wrong views about God. And the way the lies we believe, because remember the enemy is trying to trick us. So we believe a lie. Remember in the book of Genesis, what does the enemy say? What does Satan say to Eve? Has God really said... Has God really said you cannot eat from this tree? Has he really? And have you noticed that it's the same with a lot of people, isn't it? It's happening right now. Has God really said that you can go for that other lady? That you can't go for that other lady? God wants you to be happy. It's about your happiness. So because you're not happy in your marriage, that's humanism. Where the ultimate is just your own happiness. Because you're not happy in your marriage, go here and you'll be happy. No, another human being should never be your source of happiness. You know, a lot of people are like that. You know, if my husband does A, B, C, D, then I'll be happy. If my wife just stops irritating me and does X, Y, Z, then Paul, I'll be happy. No, you've made them your source of happiness means now it's idolatry. Jesus must be the center of our joy. Now, what is interesting here is that we see in this scripture, Ephesians 4, verse 26 to 28, it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So how does the devil get a foothold? How does the devil get a foothold? 
we give him the foothold. Amen? I'm sure the baby will be fine, guys. Some of you are acting like you've never heard a crying baby. All right? Don't give the enemy a foothold. How do we give the enemy a foothold? Very often it's through the lies that we believe. And you know that when people are just about to get divorced, one of the things we've seen is with the spirit of divorce, I'm going to show you later on in the series how spirits, demonic spirits, gang up. They're gangs of spirits that work with each other. And very often with the spirit of divorce is the lying spirit. You find that the moment people get divorced, very often there was lying taking place. It's the lying spirit. It operates with the spirit of divorce. All right? What are the lies you've believed about God? What are the lies you've believed about yourself? What are the lies you've believed about others? And what are the lies you believe about how the world works? Four dimensions of lies that we tend to believe. About God's nature. Oh no, God will never forgive me. Oh no, God loves other people more than he loves me. Lies about yourself. Oh no, people like me can never do ministry. It's for other people, the chosen few. I know in South Africa as a foreigner, I know they don't want me here so I can't have a breakthrough. Lies about other people. Oh, they're better off than me. They never feel this way. I think I'm the only one who feels this way. I remember doing a session at a particular organization this week and people were sharing their gripes, their issues and so on. And one of the people in one of the teams said, oh, so do you guys also experience it? I thought it was just us. If you notice that you sink into despair and depression when you think you're the only one who's suffering. Lies about others. And then lies about how the world works. What are some of those lies? Oh, conflict is bad. Someone always gets hurt. So Paul, let me just avoid conflict. What happens? You end up lying to people because you're avoiding conflict. You end up bitter about issues because you don't want to address something. And then the enemy ensnares you at that particular point. Because now you've gone to bitterness instead of confronting the person and having that difficult conversation. Amen? I'm showing you that the only darkness that has power over us is the darkness that we allow in. And next week I'll be talking about how darkness enters. Some of you might be thinking, but Paul, how do you end up having spirits harassing you? How do you end up in bondage? They're different ways. Right? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And I told you that that word is topos for foothold. It's a marked out area. It's a geographical territory. And we've got territories in our lives. And my question to you this morning is, what territory has the enemy overtaken in your life? See, very often we judge ourselves by one territory. So people will be like, I know, because I'm committed in my tithing. Pastor, I always tithe. I'm a tithing. Oh, I'm a tither. So because you're committed in one particular area, what happens? The enemy will look out for other areas, other territory. Amen? Other territory. What are some of the other areas that the enemy has got? Topos. Is it anger? We saw in the scripture from Ephesians, the context there was, don't let anger lead you to, to sin. During this series, 
Let's be radical. Let's be radical. Is it lust? I shared with you last week that very often when people are being delivered from pornography, you have to deal with the spirit of lust, but you also have to deal with the spirit of fantasy. What is it? What drives the behavior? And guys, all these things we're going to detail. I'll talk to you about what you need to do to make it easy for the deliverance. And what are the things that hinder the deliverance? Okay? You see, demons, as a result of the foothold, they gain the ability to pressure you to sin in various ways. If you yield to this pressure, footholds are maintained and strengthened. And new footholds may also be developed. <coughs> if you yield to the pressure. How many of you sometimes feel like when you sin in your life, something else is helping you to do that sin? How many of you have been in that situation? Maybe this isn't the kind of place where you then say, Amen, Pastor, yes, that's me. Okay? Right? How many of you know that in certain areas of your life, you find that you're fine, but then the moment you get into a certain shop, somewhere along the line, your money just disappears. There's a spirit of mammon that literally grabs a hold of you and you just like, oh, what happened? I don't know what happened. I went to the mall. Now my money's finished. <laughs> and you could see that there was something actually assisting you. Amen? <laughs> when you're in church, no thought of lust. You're not even thinking that way. And what happens? It's like, yeah, but then we were together with her. And then pastor, because I'm not even, I'm actually not attracted to her at all. Um, but then... And I mean, if you know, it's a whole process for someone else to end up taking off their clothes and so on, okay? It just doesn't just happen like this. There's a process, right? But there was something helping you. And very often it feeds off a stronghold in your mind. And what we're dealing with in this series is how do you uproot that stronghold? How do you uproot that lawless deed? How do you uproot, and uproot that pattern? Because as long as it's there, that's the foothold that gives demonic access into your life. Are you following? Yes. So what are some examples of these spiritual footholds? Depression, anxiety, bitterness, persistent hallucinations, addictions, could be drugs, pornography, gambling, okay? The inability to stop thinking about people you don't like. I remember speaking to someone recently and I said, it seems like you've got a fixation with person X. It was a particular boss or someone they didn't like. But in each of our sessions, that, that's who they talk about. You ever have that with people where they say they don't like someone, but they're always thinking about the person? It's <laughs> <laughs> strange. I've had coaching sessions with people where after the session, I remember the one person actually said, Paul, I didn't actually mention so-and-so's name today. Because they usually do. That fixation. Inability to stop worrying. Inability to control violent urges. That spirit of violence, that rage. Watch out for that. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. 
and having done everything to stand firm. Now I find this very interesting. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist when? In the evil day. Resist now? No, in the evil day. So right now we are relaxed because the evil day hasn't come in our life in that particular area. So right now while you're at church, things are fine with you and your wife. But it says here, take up the full armor of God. Who's taking it up? Is it, oh Lord, just protect me. Lord, be my, be my armor. Oh, it's not a passive thing. Take up the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to resist. Resisting is an active thing. In warfare, we just watched Braveheart again. Okay, remember Braveheart the movie with Mel Gibson, right? But how do you resist? It's an active thing. You resist the enemy in your life. But when do you have to do that? In the evil day. Do you know when the evil day will be? No, you don't. And that's why Jesus says, watch and pray. Doesn't just say pray. It says, watch and pray. So I must be aware in my life. What's the evil day in my marriage? Are you following? What is the enemy's strategy against me and my wife? How do you know that the enemy hates Christian marriages? So what is the enemy's strategy? And when I see something that looks like it, I must be able to resist. Amen? Now here's the scary thing. Very often it will be something within you. Very often the things that destroy marriages and families. Don't say, boy, that person broke up our marriage. No. Very often it's something within you. It might be anxiety. It might be insecurity you have. It might be extreme jealousy. You know there are those people where if they just see their spouse talking innocently with someone of the opposite sex, they then it just they oh, it's your stronghold. You're the one with the root of rejection and abandonment. Amen? And that's how we're going to be dealing with these things. Seriously, I've seen couples breaking up and because of extreme jealousy, where it's not normal. Amen? It might be the spirit of violence and anger. Where by day you're this calm person. And by night when you feel emasculated, men. When you feel like, eh, my wife is too strong for me. She's overpowering me. Then the only way you can overpower her is through your strong voice. Those of you guys with strong voices. I haven't been graced with that anointing. Okay? <laughs> right? It's either through your voice or through your physical power. Where it doesn't matter how much your wife gyms or how fit she is, you're still more powerful. It feels good actually for me when my wife is making lunch or supper for us. You know, and just trying to open something. It feels so good. <laughs> oh my love, why didn't I just ask you? <laughs> it feels nice. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, and then she boosts me like, oh. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, she's probably thinking, no, I think I did most of the work. Paul just did the fight. <laughs> <laughs> But the point I'm making is very often it's to do with strongholds within us. Don't be too quick to diagnose the problem with ah, it's that boss over there who keeps my wife at work. No, it's your wife or your husband's lack of assertiveness. She's bound by a fear of disappointing a father figure. And that's why she can't say no to her boss. 
That's why she can't say to her boss, um, I'm just feeding my kids and doing my kids' homework. Can we discuss this tomorrow? Don't keep blaming the boss. Blame your spouse who can't stand up and say, there's a boundary here. Amen? Your boss at work will always want to get the most out of you. That's what they're like. Are you able to stand up to them? Or are you bound by the fear of man? That's the stronghold. That's the issue to deal with. Amen? What's the evil day for you? Number five. There are consequences to remaining in bondage. Why do we minister freedom to people? There are consequences to remaining in bondage. If you stay in bondage, you don't remain in a neutral state. What am I saying? We need to maximize on the flow of our ministry and our potential. And that's why in this series we'll identify what is preventing the absolute working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What is preventing that? There are consequences. You won't experience ministry to the fullness of potential or your potential if you remain in bondage. You won't accomplish your purpose in life. You will go to the grave with your dreams there in your grave. Remember I've said to you, fulfillment doesn't come from what you get. Fulfillment comes from when the stuff that's inside of you gets out. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8. We're talking about consequences. There are consequences. I want to minister freedom to each and every person here in this place. Why? There are consequences. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8. It says, he who digs a pit will what? will fall into it. How many of you know that there are pits in our lives and guess who dug them? Yours truly. Ah, oh, no, there's this pit. Look what they've done. Uh-uh. When you blame someone or something else, you deny yourself the ability to change. When you blame someone or something else, you deny yourself the ability to change. How many of you know that there's always someone else to blame? The government. <laughs> politicians my husband and it becomes a, a habit doesn't it it's always someone else's fault he who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall you see God has placed hedges around us but when you break through that hedge and you stick your hand out, you'll be bitten. What are the hedges in our lives? There's the hedge of the covenant that we have in marriage. Amen? How many of you know that being a member of a church, whether you're in a church where you sign your membership, whether you say out certain things in front of the church, whatever methodology is used, that spiritual covering, where you have people watching over you spiritually, where you are yielded and submitted in a local church. How many of you know that that's also a hedge? How many of you understand that there's certain demonic spirits? I'm not saying all. There are some types of spirits that have to actually reach this guy over here, me, yours truly, before they can get you if we're connected spiritually. How many of you understand that? That's why it's important to pray for your pastors. There are things I see at night, things that happen to me. My wife was saying, what happened last night? What happened? I'm used to it now. 
But I understand that when you're leading something and you're overseeing people, the, the enemy doesn't like the people. I mean, you know, the enemy doesn't like you. Strike the shepherd and what happens? The sheep will scatter. All this happens. Amen? So what are you doing concerning the hedges of protection over your life? Identify what is giving the enemy authority to remain operating in your life. What walls of protection are you breaking through? I think many of you have the answers already. Number six. The enemy is crafty and ignorance is not bliss. How many of you know that even if you don't think that there's this thing called spiritual warfare. Even if you don't believe in it, you can still be wiped out. If there's war happening, you have little kids who are caught in the crossfire. Ignorance is not bliss. Come on, we see what happens in the Middle East, right? We see what's happened historically in this part of the world, in Southern Africa, where civilians are killed. So it doesn't matter if you say, oh, you know what, I don't believe there's a war. Let me just go out and then guns are just... Gunfire is just blazing all around you. You'll still be wiped out. Amen? So ignorance is not bliss. And the enemy is crafty. You see, the enemy is the father of lies. And his main strategy is to keep Christians in bondage. By what? By having them believe those lies. In ministering freedom, we replace lies with truth. Do you see that? We, we replace lies with truth. That's why if I'm counseling someone, if I'm ministering to someone, it's very cognitive. It's very much, what are you believing? What is your mindset? Is there any stinking thinking right now? And then we change that and we replace it with the truth. And that's renewing the mind. Amen? We have to have truth about God's heart and God's nature. We have to have truth about ourselves and truth about others and truth about how the world works. If you're not full of truth in your life, the enemy will trick you. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? The devil was even quoting scripture to him, wasn't he? Hey, if you do this, God will just protect you because scripture tells us that his angels will come and they will save you. So why don't you jump off this cliff? The enemy will con you. Now, Isaiah 6 verse 10. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears are dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears. Are your eyes seeing? Are you hearing? I remember I started wearing glasses when I was only about 12 years of age. And I remember in grade seven in Zim, I would be sitting in my class and I'll be wondering, how come other people can see? Come on, those of you who wear glasses, you know what I'm talking about. You'll be parked off there and you'll be like wondering, how come other people can see? And I actually thought it was because of the sunlight, the sun rays or something like that, right? Some of you can identify with me. I'm like, ah, those guys are sitting at the back of the class and they seem to have no problem with the blackboard. 
The last thing on my mind was that there's something wrong with my eyes. I don't wear glasses anymore. I have the op, by the way. The LASIK op. Those of you who think I'm wearing contacts, I'm not wearing contacts. Just so you know. <laughs> okay. But I wore glasses for many years. I'm turning 42 this year. And I had the op win about a year and a half, or two years ago, somewhere there. All right? But very often we've got a problem with our sight, but we don't think we have a problem. We think it must be the sun. Amen? Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. How many of you need healing in your lives, healing in your hearts? Deliverance. A key thing is understanding and seeing. Because people don't understand, they can't hear, they don't understand with their hearts, they cannot see with their eyes, then they will never return and be healed. You see, there's some people who are what we call the hero. In one of my books on dysfunctional families, restoring family life, one of those pocket books, I talk about that. Because coming out of dysfunctional families, you've got the hero. And the hero is the person who was the blue-eyed boy of the family or blue-eyed girl of the family. The self-image of the family rests on that particular child. So the family is dysfunctional, but everyone is like, wow, but look at her results. Look how well she's doing. And this person ends up being so successful in life. But they're very difficult to minister to because they don't think they've got any issues. Because they're being praised because they're the hero. They're the one who's the wealthiest. They're the one who's the smartest. But at a certain point, you hear these people coming through. They're now in their 40s and they had a nervous breakdown. They couldn't hold a relationship together. They were so driven. They were driven. They were not purposeful. You know the people I'm talking about. Very difficult to minister to them because they don't actually think they've got issues. I'm successful, but look. I passed my degree, cum laude. Look at me. My bosses love me. Look at me. Everyone is jealous of me. Look at me. But they're crumbling on the inside. They cannot see. So they cannot be healed. They don't understand from their heart. They cannot be healed. Maybe that's you today. You're crying deep down inside because you have to be strong for your family. You know how it is with the hero. That be strong for everyone else. No room to cry. No room to be weak. So their heart is hardened. And the Holy Spirit cannot penetrate that hard heart and bring healing. So when I do this, I'm just doing it. That's where I'm, I'm not meaning you, Ishe. Okay, I'm just doing this. <laughs> so the enemy is very crafty. John 8 verse 31 to 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. How do you become truly a disciple of him? Continue in his word. Then what does it say? And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is the freedom series, ladies and gentlemen. How do we become free? Knowing the truth. How do we know the truth? Continue in his word. Can you see that progression? If you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Some people think like, ah, oh, no, it's fine. You know, pastor, just lay hands on me, then I'll be fine. No, when we lay hands and we rebuke demons, 
they do flee. But if you don't then renew your mind and think Christianly, they come back worse. Amen? That's what Jesus says. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And, I, and if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven it in the presence of Christ for your sake. Now watch this, verse 11. In order that Satan, this is Christians, in order that Satan should not do what? Should not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Many Christians are unaware of the enemy's schemes. And Paul the Apostle here is saying, we're not unaware of his schemes. That word scheme is strategy, tactics, trickery. What is the enemy's scheme against you? Isaiah 5 verse 13. I'm going to read from the King James. I don't usually use the King James. I'm going to read from it for a certain reason. Therefore, my people are gone into. I come against the spirit of passivity in this place. <laughs> right? Therefore, my people are gone into. Captivity. Into captivity. Because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished. And their multitude dried up with thirst. So why, does, why do God's people end up in captivity? Because they have no, no knowledge. This is so important. This is so important. If you're struggling with some area of bondage, figure it out. Figure it out. Get knowledge in that particular area. Amen? I feel like preaching this morning. I feel like preaching this morning. Amen. <laughs> I feel like preaching this morning. Amen. Say, go deeper, Papa. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. <laughs> Say, go deeper, Papa. Go deeper, Papa. Go deeper, Papa. <laughs> All right. Let's have some interaction, please, guys. You've got the rest of Sunday to chill. All right. So here we have an interesting situation because we see that it says in order that Satan should not outwit us for we are unaware. We're not unaware of his schemes. Then Isaiah 5 verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. So God's people can be held captive because they have no knowledge. Could it be that the bondage you're experiencing in your life right now is because of no knowledge? In the NIV it says, therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. It doesn't say that they're completely clueless. But it says for lack of understanding. Matthew 17 verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. That's deliverance, right? That's freedom. Right? And he was healed from that moment. So this guy was sick. I mean, if there, a lot of our sicknesses are based on the spirit of infirmity. There's a spirit of infirmity, and then we need to then rebuke that spirit, and then we are healed. Can you see the link here? Yes. Is everyone listening? Can you see the link? All right? This is so powerful. You see, some of you, your children get sick, and what are you doing? 
Oh Lord, please, please heal my child. Lord, heal my child. But sometimes we must function in the gift of discerning of spirits where we can pick up that, wait a minute, there's a spirit operating here. And we just rebuke the spirit of infirmity and the child is healed. Amen? Amen. But because of lack of understanding, we remain in bondage. We remain captives. Afterward, because the disciples had been trying, Jesus had given them authority. He'd given them authority to do this. Come on, we're ready. This is Matthew 17. Afterwards, the disciples came to Jesus privately, because they wouldn't do it publicly, right? Privately and asked him, why couldn't we drive it out? The same thing is happening today, ladies and gentlemen. There's certain people who go into certain cities and the demons flee. There's certain people who go and will pray for your business and everything turns around immediately. There's certain people who come in and pray for your family and that spirit of anger, rage, violence dissipates and you're fine. And you're left asking the question, why couldn't I do it? Lack of understanding. There are many other factors. There are many other factors that will go into them when we deal with territorial spirits. There are some spirits that are stronger in certain regions than others. Right? Sometimes it's due to what we call spiritual authority, not the believer's authority that we all have, but spiritual authority. When someone goes into a region because of an apostolic assignment from God, they've got great authority there, and the demons are all scared of that person in the area. Amen? There are many reasons, but one of them is lack of understanding. Because how many of you know that you're the one in authority in your own household? He answered, because you have so little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. So we need to understand why we don't get breakthrough sometimes. Amen? Number seven. Many Christians are pursuing counterfeit sources of freedom. That's why we have to minister freedom. Jesus must be your source of freedom. Many Christians go somewhere else. You see, if someone is like, when I'm lonely, I go to the bottle. There's someone I was helping who was addicted to alcohol. And I said, when do you find yourself slipping up and going and drinking? And he says, it's when I feel lonely. How many of you know that God is the one who comforts us? The Bible tells us he's the God of all comfort. You see, we tie God's hands when we go to the counterfeit. What is a counterfeit? It's something that makes you feel good, but it's not the real thing. And this is the area of deliverance many Christians need to go to. Because there you are saying, Lord, I'm praying for breakthrough in my marriage. I want my husband to love me. Lord, give me breakthrough. Pastor, pray for me. Pastor, lay hands on us, please. Meanwhile, you're doing something else to comfort you. It could be food. It could be illicit relationships. It could be fantasy. The moment you run there, you're tying God's hands because God is saying, well, you've chosen who your source is. The Bible tells us that I'm the, I'm the Lord your God and I am, I am jealous. Not jealousy. Some people say, oh, some people are so jealousy. Bad grammar. <laughs> 
There's a, there's a particular president, president's wife, I won't mention the name of the country, who say that. Well, it's my husband who's teaching me English, but some people, they're so jealousy. Okay? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Many Christians are pursuing counterfeit sources of freedom. The Bible tells us in John 8, verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, if you go to a counterfeit, you will not be free indeed. There'll be, there'll be that solace you experience on a temporary basis. Ah, at least I feel okay now. Oh, I'm feeling okay now. What happens the next day? What happens the day after? Amen? Amen. If the shoe fits, please wear it. And don't just focus on your spouse. I know often what happens, yeah, I'm so glad he came to church today. I'm so glad he's hearing this. Focus also on yourself. If the shoe fits, wear it. Even if it's a size six and you're a size seven, just push it in, push your foot in. All right? Number eight, freedom from bondage is a sign of the kingdom. If you want to know, is our house a kingdom house? Are you free from bondage? Luke 11 verse 20, it says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's some Christians who don't believe in deliverance. Like, I know, once you're a Christian, you're fine. You must just know it in your head that that's all fine. You don't even have to think about the devil. You're all fine. How many feel that the devil wants us to be in that space? Wants us to be in that space. Because then we blame other things and we don't do warfare. But can you see all these scriptures I'm sharing with you? Resist the devil. Be aware of his trickery. There's a devil on the loose. Say to the person next to you, there's a devil on the loose. <laughs> say to someone else, there's a devil on the loose. <laughs> and if you didn't say anything, I rebuke that stubborn spirit in you. <laughs> I don't like it when pastors instruct me to say, say this like I'm a little kid. I rebuke that spirit of pride in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm acting like I'm joking. I'm acting like I'm joking just, you know, so it's a nice vibe between us, but I'm actually being serious. Inability to follow instruction. I'm just not too sure whether it's a spirit of rebellion, spirit of stubbornness, spirit of pride. They often work together. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> All right. So Luke 11 verse 20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Is the kingdom of God in your family? Has every devil been cast out? Sign of the kingdom. And then finally, number nine. God has given us the ability to close doors that allow darkness to enter. That's why we can confidently and boldly minister freedom to people. He's given us the ability to close doors. Let me explain to you something. When you were unsaved, there was ground that the enemy had in your life. Despite your grandmother's prayers over you, despite your parents' prayers over you, as long as you're in that place of darkness in your life, Topos, foothold. Your whole life was a foothold for the enemy. Amen? 
Then you got saved. Your spirit man was regenerated. Your spirit is the part of you that is God conscious. The part of you that connects with the Lord. Right? And there you were, you are going to heaven. You've been brought back. But how many of you know that you now have that process of sanctification, purification, becoming holy, where you are taking territory back? Amen? Amen. So it's not like, oh, you got born again, and automatically that spirit of lust that used to hound you, it just went away and you no longer have issues with lust. How many of you know that you now have to renew your mind? You don't just say, I'm not going to think those thoughts, I'm not going to think those thoughts. No, it doesn't work that way. The way your mind works psychologically is displacement. You displace bad ways of thinking, bad patterns of thinking with the good stuff. Amen? Amen. So then what happens is you start taking territory. And there's some Christians who are very quick at this because they redeem the time. So they read lots of words. They listen to lots of messages. When they're driving to Joburg, how many of you, we, a lot of you live in Centurion, how many of you live here, but you work in Joburg? Hands up. I was speaking to Emily and she was talking about how she's been commuting to Joburg every day. She says the commute is quite tricky, you know, traffic and everything, but guess what, I've got my audiobooks, so I'm getting used to that. Listening, 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 redeeming the time. Instead of just saying, oh, this traffic, Baba, this traffic, Baba. Amen? If, you do, if you're on the how train, how many of you use the how train? Don't just park off in the how train being nervous. Who's going to try and talk to me today? Just get your earphones and listen to words. I know that some people will still try to talk to you even though you've got your earphones on. I remember once experiencing that. I'm like, dude, you're not getting the hint. Hey, so, 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 no boundaries. Get a big headset. You know, sometimes those little subtle ones, they can't see. Big, big headset. I've got a kind of spare ones, Kathy, if you need them. You look like a DJ there. You just act like you're really into your music. Meanwhile, it's word, word, word. Amen? Some people don't get the hint. You don't have to talk to everyone. Just feed yourself with the word. God has given us the ability to close doors that allow darkness to enter. Question, has darkness entered your marriage? Has darkness entered your life as an individual? Has darkness entered your business? Identify what's that stronghold. We'll talk next week about how darkness enters, but identify it. Mark 16, verse 17 to 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe. What is the first thing that is mentioned? In my name, they will drive out demons. Who's a believer here? Where's the last time you cast a devil out? From, from Jesus' perspective, when he's thinking of believers, he says, these signs, what's a sign? Evidence. These signs will accompany those who believe. Why, does, why is that the first thing he says? It's top of mind. Now go and read a whole lot of Christian books out there and see how this is downplayed. In my name, they will drive out demons. Can I go to the next one? We're not talking about it today, but 
They will speak in new tongues. If you don't speak in tongues yet, you get baptized in the Spirit, we'll help you out. Pastor, Pastor Vim here is a specialist in that. Okay? She's helped so many people with that particular thing. Speak to her afterwards, after the service. Say, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Amen? They will place their hands. Now, there are other verses in between there, which I'm not going to go into because I don't want to distract us. But they will place their hands on sick people. When was the last time you laid hands on the sick? And they will get well. Are you feeling me this morning? Are we on the same page? Job chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? And Paul, you can come and start playing. I can see you, you, you like itching to start playing. You can do that. We can be those churches where you just go jun jun and then I just go jun jun jun. Okay? To wake up some people who are starting to fall asleep. Job 1 verse 9 to 11. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Maybe that's what's happened to us for all the years. We've been married 14 years. Never ever were burgled. They would only get as far as the motor. You know the gate control, the gate motor. Never would happen. And then last year, for the first time, we were burgled. And you know sometimes it's easy to sort of think like, what did I do wrong? Is there something? Did I pray? Did I not pray strong enough that night? Because we always pray for protection. But how many of you know that sometimes we go through tests? Because there's some people who go through bad stuff. And what do they do? They get bitter. And they start thinking, oh, I'm not that anointed. Because the enemy managed to penetrate. Amen? Amen. It's important that we pass the test that we experience in our lives. And I know that there are all sorts of theories about this. Some people say, oh, it was in the Old Testament. I believe that we still get tested today. How do we bounce back? Because here, the devil is saying, does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, feel that there are times in your life where you don't have much and it's a test. Are you still going to praise God? even in difficult times? Are you still going to press through and come to ignite and the things you always came to, even when life is difficult for you? Those are tests. The enemy's strategy is for you to end up bitter. And then you begin to say things stemming from bitterness and you're ensnared by your own words. That's how he traps you. Foothold. You get offended with God. Foothold. I don't know what you've been through. Maybe it's accidents, after accident, after accident. Maybe it's illness in your family. I don't know what you've been through, but bad things happen to good people. But you know what? Even though a lot of those things, they're not from God, but they happen to us, we live in a fallen world. You can use that as a stepping stone for your promotion. And even though this thing is terrible, I'm gonna turn it around and use it positively in my life so Job says this the devil says this does Job fear God for nothing have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side say to the person next to you there's a hedge around me 
often in the evening at home I pray and I say Lord may you place a wall of fire may you be if you're accurately looking at the scripture may you be the wall of fire around us you have blessed the work of his hands say to the person next to you the work of my hands have been blessed and his possessions have increased in the land say my possessions have increased in the land now watch this this is the evil day but put forth your hand now and touch all he has you see for some of you it's business failure that sometimes happens for some of you it might be marital difficulty that sometimes take place and you know what the devil says and he says and when you do this he will surely curse you to your face that's the test are you gonna curse God or are you gonna worship like you've never worshipped before in Job 2 verse 4 to 10 look what it ends what ends up happening Satan answered the Lord and said skin for skin yes all that a man has he will give for his life however put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh he will curse you to your face so the Lord said to Satan behold he's in your power only spare his life there's what's known as the divine passive tense where the things that happen to us it's not because God has placed them but he's allowed it to happen doesn't mean you're a bad person Job wasn't a bad person now watch this then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils how many of you have had boils before no one wants to raise their hand with sore boils from the sole of his foot blisters can be very sore amen from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took a pot shed pot shed pot's hood, a particular instrument to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Pray may God not give me a wife like that. Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish, foolish women speaks. He didn't say to her, you are foolish. He says, you speak like one of those foolish women. He's a wise man. <laughs> Now watch this. This is so powerful. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. When you're harassed by your children and they're rebellious, do you sin with your lips? When your, job, when your boss treats you unfairly, do you sin with your lips? The enemy wants to get you to a place where you say, I'm going to curse God and die. I'm going to sin. I'll sin with my lips. I don't care what I'll say. God should understand the pain that I'm going through. And through your own words, you ensnare yourself. And it attracts demons. That's the trickery of the enemy. That's the trickery of the enemy. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 5. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments 
and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You don't have to stay in bondage. You don't have to stay in bondage. You can close the doors. Amen? Amen. And amen. Let's pray.